0: I think it's 113 or 14 sermons uh, through the Gospel of John. Uh, I I I tend to preach through through a book of the Bible, and I just preach, and and I I write out the daily Bible study, which is in a sense a commentary, but it's me coming to grips with the text. I'm I'm translating it, and I'm commenting it on it, and trying to explain it in terms that I understand it, and uh, share that with you. Look, why do I do that? Uh, some number of years ago I got really tired of of reading through passages of the Bible that I didn't understand Uh, they were familiar to me, some cases I could have memorized them or recited them to you but I didn't really know what I was reading you you have that experience where you're reading something it's beautiful, you're sure you believe it but you're not sure what it said you know, know, there's there's these great big terms and they're gorgeous and yeah, whatever that means I'm for it, you know (laughs) And, and there's just a whole lot of that experience that I've had. And I got, I, got, I got tired of it. I just thought, I don't know what it means now, but they don't either. And I thought, let's, let's actually slow this, this wagon down. And let me see if I can actually understand what I'm, what I'm reading. And so I have been doing that now for many, many years. And we, this, this has been, as I said, I think, I don't know, this is like 114 sermons or something like that. 113 uh, in the Gospel of John. This uh, we are. I have actually finished John in the daily Bible study imagine that wow you thought it would never happen would Jesus come first or would I finish John and, and I finished John the question that people ask is where are you going next I don't, have a, I don't know uh, I've got some thoughts but I don't, I don't know yet um, might have one more sermon I have thought about things I've learned in the gospel of John because it's changed me i 'm not the same person i, I don 't believe the same uh, after having gone through John like that He, he just he, like he, he took my brains and kind of straightened them out and, and gave me a, a whole nother level of faith. Uh, problem is I started writing down things i 've learned in the Gospel of John, and I, I stopped at thirty five and I thought well that 's a long sermon <laughs> so uh, i 'm not sure quite how to approach that but but today what we 're doing is is, is there 's there's an event that John records at the end of his gospel, and uh, it's a it's a dialogue between Jesus and Peter. The resurrected Jesus has appeared uh, there at the Sea of Galilee. Uh, his seven of the disciples had gone fishing uh, that night and had, were out in the boat. Uh, they see him on the shore. He he has them cast the net on the on the right side. They catch 153 what would have been tilapia, large tilapia. Uh, they pull it to land. He has a fire going. He serves them breakfast, which is a a remarkable thing in itself. And then he goes for a walk down the beach with with Peter. If you recall, Peter had denied the Lord three times, and and aggressively. Uh, It was ugly. Uh, In fact, he actually was vulgar in the way he said things uh, at one point uh, in denying Jesus. And so Peter, I think, has been forgiven. He's had a private appointment with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. He's forgiven, but I don't think he's healed yet. And so you watch Jesus walk him down the beach. And for each denial, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And then Peter's response is, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And a little less of a of, an, of a of a statement of love. But he says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. By the time Jesus hits the third one, Peter knows what's happening and grieves. And in the course of that, Jesus then says to Peter something really quite shocking. He says, it's it's beautiful, it's wonderful, and it's also awful. He says, Peter, you will not ever deny me again, in effect. He says, you will die a martyr's death. In fact, you're going to be crucified. And uh, you will not deny me. Isn't that wonderful, Peter? (laughs) And I I, I, just put yourself in Peter's sandals. You know, how, how would you feel? Like, praise God crucified oh um and i think and peter at that point turns around and john was walking behind them and he says well what about him is he he gonna die that way too i don't know you know misery loves company i don't know exactly why he said that uh and then jesus makes a statement that actually caused a false doctrine to go through the early church Uh, he he said, if I want him to remain until I come, or while I am coming, actually, is the the Greek. If if I want him to remain while I'm coming, what is that to you? Now, obviously, at at one level, he's saying, uh, it's no business of yours, but he makes this, the way he said it, cause trouble. Because when you hear that, you think, oh, so it's possible that John would still be alive when Jesus comes back. Do you hear it? If I want him to remain until I come, what's that to you? So the, the, the false doctrine, the, 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 the rumor, you might say, went out through the early church, Jesus will come back before John dies. So everybody's keeping track of John and... and, and <laughs> He lived a long time. I mean, he lived, uh, in, you know, into the uh, 90s. Uh, probably he was close to 100 years old. And so everybody figures, he well, Jesus is coming. John's still alive. John's still alive. And so this thing went out. Well, when John writes his gospel, he says, I need to clear that up. And so he, he writes what I'm going to read to you. We're in, we're in John 21. I'll start at verse 20. Father, would you open us? We want to understand your word. We want to not just know it with our head. We want to understand it with our heart. We want to live this, Jesus. We want, to, we want You are our Lord and our rabbi. We are your disciples. And we're following you and intend to follow you as, as, as hard as, as Peter and John to be, to be truly yours. So teach us, Lord. We're on the beach there. We're watching. We're listening. Help us understand. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 20, Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one whom, who had also leaned back on his bosom at the supper. That's reference, uh, the reference to where John sat at that last Passover meal in the upper room before Jesus was arrested and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Um, that was uh, some Peter had asked, and it was Judas who was betraying him. So Peter, seeing him, John, said to Jesus, Lord, what and what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come. Would you say until I come? come. What is that to you? You follow me. Now listen to John's comment, verse 23. Therefore, this saying went out among the brethren, that's the early church, Christians, "that, that that disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but only if I want him to remain until I come. What is that to you? So the, the thought was that the kingdom of God will come. Jesus will return. The resurrection will happen uh, before John dies. And so everybody's, as I said, watching John to see when Jesus is coming. All right, so let's look at our study. Watching and waiting. Waiting. I've lived through seasons in which people were absolutely sure that Jesus was coming back any day. It was very exciting and for some, particularly the young, very disturbing. You know, you think about, oh, we all want to see Jesus any day now. Well, that's sort of true. The, there's a whole bunch of young people who are going. I hope he doesn't come back before I get married or before I find who I'm going to be. You know, and there's this whole this whole sense of like, yeah, I want him to come back, but could you wait about twenty years? Uh, I I'd like to live a little life first. There's, there's mixed feelings. Do any of you have you recalled seasons? Have you been through seasons yourself? Where you just felt like any moment now Jesus could come back. And there's just this energy and excitement. How many remember such such things? Yes, absolutely. Uh, Boy, did did, did I go through it too. Any thought of planning for the future went out the window. Because after all, what was the use? The end of history as we knew it was at hand. It stirred evangelism and put the fear of God in some whose moral life had declined. No one wanted to be caught in a bad situation when Jesus returned. I, I remember uh, going through this discussion with, with a, a pastor who was an important man in my life. And I said to him, I said, I don't, I, he, was, he wanted me to go to seminary. I didn't want to go to seminary. I wanted to be out, out for serving Jesus. And I said to him, I don't want to be in the library when Jesus returns. Didn't that, that sound good? You know, talk <laughs> about spiritual. Didn't move him at all. He looked right at me and said, you go to school. And I and I did, and that was that was 1971 or no, yeah, somewhere right about there 72. Uh, Jesus did not come back in 1972, but we were pretty sure it would at least be 73, and we were. I mean, actually, there was a season back then when it was just really alive, and uh, so every New Year's uh, sermon a New Year's Day sermon, would, would be about the coming of Jesus. It's this year. You see, Israel now is a nation, and it was so many years since then, and that's one generation. And you added up the math, and you, we had it. We had it, you know. And, and uh, then there was 88 reasons. It was in 1988, you remember that? And, and then, we, if you think about it, there's been these things. And we just went through a, a sort of a rush on blood moons and, and all of that. And, and someone told me the next one is 2033. I, 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 I said I asked the last service. I said, is, is, "Is somebody must be coming out with a new theory of when he's coming back?" I said, is, is, "I haven't heard of it. I'm out of the loop." And so somebody came up afterwards, and they said, "Well," and they showed me the math, in 2033. So hallelujah! Come on, get ready. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, but what it does is it puts all your plans on hold. I mean, who can plan when you when you when you're going up? Uh, it, and and it did cause a, a level of a real revival. There was, I've met, I don't know how many people over the years who got saved reading a book called The Late Great Planet Earth. And, and that, that book, I mean, I've, anybody in here? Yeah, that's what got you. Yes, look at that. Come show it again. Woo-hoo. Bless Hal Lindsey. Uh, the book is, goes through all these prophecies and shows that Jesus is coming and it scared the liver out of people. It, it, and it did. It, all of us, like, okay. And he didn't you know, And so you kind of minded your manners. You had to keep. You, you know, he, he. You didn't want to get caught in the movies. You know, a wrong movie. Yeah. Uh, when you know, you there. You are going. And the, and, the, and the top of the theater opens up, and there's Jesus. You know, you, you didn't want to get caught in that situation. So people got saved. They cleaned their act up. I mean, it, it had a. It had a real uh, effect. I've also lived through seasons in which believers were not confident that Jesus was going to return very soon. Uh, we watched the, the news headlines for signs to determine where we were in God's prophetic timetable. And it seemed that most of the signs we saw were bad. Uh, the world it seemed to be headed into the last days and we tried to decipher who the Antichrist was. And we spent a good deal of time with that. We decided it was Henry Kissinger. <laughs> and, <laughs> poor guy you know uh, because if you took the if you took the the hebrew equivalent of his name and added that up as numbers it came to 666 come on yes if he weren't dead i'd still think it was him you know no so anyhow i i don't know who's who's being identified as the antichrist now but uh some poor person is and uh but we but we 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 had this nailed down but I, have you been in services where they pull out a huge prophetic chart and they begin to show you where on the prophetic timeline you are and the events that need to still take place? You know, there's usually a pointer and you go down it. And, and, and in fact, I, I, I asked the last service and they hadn't seen many of those. And I thought, I need to bring some of that in here. you... <laughs> You have. You, I need to make sure you're exposed to, to, to the wider to the wider uh, events. Uh, but you go down these things, and but if and I'll, I'll show you a little bit later. When you go down that prophetic timeline. It's pretty grim. It it goes from bad to worse, and so you can get a very sour attitude, like whoa, we're in the last days, and you know what comes next. You know, and it, it's just like we're waiting for for whatever it is to fall, and I won't go any further with that. Uh, so, so much debate over, arose over the interpretation of certain passages of Scripture uh, that many people were left feeling unsure of where we were in God's plan. The problem is the more you get into that stuff, everybody's got a different theory. And, and that ambiguity seemed to reduce the fear of God in some because Jesus' coming was, well, it wasn't going to be for another 100 years or 200 years at least, to you know, and the, this had to happen, and this had to happen, and this had to happen. It was so far out in the distance, it just kind of makes it become uh, not very significant. His, his coming felt too distant to worry about. So it seems that we vacillate. Sometimes we're waiting for him to arrive at any moment, and sometimes we're watching for prophetic signs and don't expect him in our lifetime. And the uncertainty of it all makes us want to ask, does it really matter? Why don't we simply leave that topic to the Bible scholars and trust that Jesus will come when he wants to? Have you ever heard anybody talking about the tribulation? They say there's the pre-trib rapture. There's the post-trib rapture. There's the mid-trib raptures. But I believe the pan-trib. And they say, it means it'll all pan out in the end. <laughs> Have you heard that? Yeah. And it always gets a laugh. And, uh, but there's a whole lot of pastors I know who that, in effect, is their theology. Like, I don't know what to do with this. Whenever he, he I, 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 I'm a Christian. I trust he knows that. And he'll, he'll pull me out of here when it's time. But it does matter. As we'll see today, the Lord wants us to live with an attitude of expectation. Would you say attitude of expectation? expectation. As well as an attitude of endurance. Say an attitude attitude of endurance. There's two things there. Expectation and endurance. You and I need the hope of Jesus' soon return burning in our hearts. We need to feel the shortness of time. We need to be driven by an urgency that we must do what we can to serve him while we can. Yet that attitude of high expectation must be tempered with a patient confidence that God is in control of the seasons of human history and that his prophets have told us this and have shown us what to watch for as the end draws near. Too much expectation that his return is immediate and we tend to stop preparing and just wait we sit around, don't you know? Quit our jobs. Uh, there have been movements in which people, thinking he was coming any day now, would run their, their credit cards to the to the max because they aren't going to have to pay them off. Come on, I'm serious. Yeah. Anyway, don't do it, please. That was uh, too much certainty of where we are on the prophetic timetable, and we grow complacent, assuming we've got lots of time to get it right. We'll die of old age before he comes. The final conversation John records in his gospel is between Jesus and Peter. It contains both an assurance that Peter will live long enough to grow old and a suggestion that Jesus might return during John's lifetime. Peter is commanded to pastor Jesus' followers and then told that when he's old, he will be martyred. Yet when Peter asks what will happen to John, Jesus replies that John might not die before he returns to set up his kingdom. Both of the attitudes that we've just discussed were present in that conversation. Peter is given a prophetic word that Jesus won't return during his lifetime. But then Jesus implies that he might return during John's lifetime. And I don't think that's an accident. I think Jesus intended to teach both attitudes. He wanted Peter to prepare himself for a lifetime of faithfulness. He also wanted him to live as if Jesus was coming very soon. Do you see that? Two opposing, apparently contradictory attitudes. I think we need them both. I think that's what he's teaching us. And I'll show you, every time Jesus talks about his coming, he includes both. Prophetic signs and a prophetic timetable and the expectation I could come at any moment. Therefore, there are two ways of living out our faith. One is to prepare ourselves spiritually so we can be faithful for a lifetime. And the other is to wait expectantly for Jesus' soon return. Those two attitudes seem at odds with one another. You would think that a person would have to choose between them. But in the final conversation by the lake, Jesus deliberately left his disciples with both attitudes. He wanted them to keep waiting and watching. Would you say waiting and watching? He was preparing their hearts to expect and endure. Say expect and endure. Because he might come at midnight and he might delay until a future generation. What we learn today is that from that dialogue between Jesus and Peter is that we are not to do one and ignore the other. We are to do both until we see him face to face. Want you to see where I get that. I want to go back to that conversation by the lake and understand it. By the time verse 23 there on Monday, by the time John wrote his gospel, a false teaching had spread through the early church that claimed that Jesus would return before the apostle John died. What started this confusion was a misunderstanding of the way Jesus had answered Peter's question about John's future. By the way, it's interesting how that John, this, John's writing of this is not the first anyone's heard of it. Isn't that, isn't that clear? It had already had a whole controversy over it. John writes, uh, this is already spread through the church. John writes his to clarify the truth of it. The question, Lord, what about this one? Seemed to be asking, will John die a violent death like the one you said, I will die? Or will he die peacefully or perhaps remain alive until you set up God's kingdom on earth? And Jesus could have answered him in a way that no one would have misunderstood. He could have said, if I wish John to die peacefully in his old age, what is that to you? But he didn't. He said, if I wish him to remain while I am coming, that's the literal, what is that to you? By raising the possibility that John might live until the new age arrived, Jesus stirred people's imagination. To correct the misunderstanding that arose over those words, John carefully points out what Jesus did and did not say. He did not say that John would be alive when he returned. But he did imply that it would be possible for John to remain until he returned, if he willed it to be so. And by confronting Peter with a question, what is that to you? He made it clear that he was not going to tell him the plan he had for John's life. I I read this... um, you know, this rumor that John would not not die until the Lord's return, well, when John actually did die and was buried, uh, people would go, go out to his grave and they would put their hands on the grave and all and they could feel it rising and falling. In other words, he was breathing under there. Mm-hmm. Because Jesus hadn't come back yet, and he wouldn't die till he came back. So I mean, you can you can see where this goes, yeah. Now please don't. Let's not start our own cult. Uh, the, 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 what do you call the? the never mind. Uh, the whole controversy over John's death and the date of Jesus' return could have been avoided if Jesus had worded his answer differently, but he didn't word it differently. He answered that way for a reason. He deliberately suggested that he might return within the span of John's lifetime. In other words, he suggested his imminent at any time return. Would you say imminent return? See that spelled with an I there, I-M-M-I. When it's spelled like that, imminent means at any time. So you may hear people use the phrase, the imminent return of Christ. At any moment, we can expect him coming. Throughout the New Testament, there is an expectation that the Lord could return at any time. I just give you a, a handful of references there, a whole bunch of them. All of those, you can hear Paul, you can hear Peter, all saying he could come at any moment. We, you know, be, are you ready? It's going to be soon. Even though Jesus made statements that seemed to require that a series of prophetic events must happen first, he also made statements in which he declared that he himself didn't know when he would come again. And that we should be watching for him and live as though he might arrive at any time. On the one hand, believers are to watch for certain prophetic signs which will tell us when his coming is drawing near. And on the other hand, we are to stay constantly alert because he might return suddenly. And if we grow careless, we will be unprepared to meet him. Have you felt that tension when you've read the Bible? It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You, you, on the one hand, you give us this whole list, and I'll, I'll show it to you. I'll show, I'm going to show you the, one of the lists that Jesus gives in, in, in Matthew 24. In fact, that's a classic. He gives you a checklist of all these prophetic signs. And then he says, but I don't know when I'm coming, and you better be ready. I could come at any moment. And you go, what do you mean any moment? You've got a checklist. You've got to check off first. You can't come back till there, uh, you know, or there, depending, you know. The fact that John felt the need to correct this misunderstanding about what Jesus said to Peter that day shows us that this event had been widely reported before, long before. John wrote his gospel. What we have here is him trying to correct an error that had spread by word of mouth. To do what, that, he carefully retells what happened and then states exactly what Jesus said. Twice he repeats Jesus' words. He wants us to understand that Jesus spoke about a possibility, not a certainty. And in doing this, John is teaching us the importance of listening carefully to Jesus. He's pointing to the fact that when Jesus speaks, he says exactly what he means to say, and that nothing more should be read into his words. We would never do that anyway, but it's good to hear it. (laughs) Blessed be God. Virtually all the prophets of God... Speak of the turmoil of the last days and the glorious arrival of the kingdom of God on earth. Do you pray the Lord's Prayer regularly? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In other words, holy are you. Uh, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Above all, that means may the kingdom of God come to earth, the messianic kingdom, and may this age of evil uh, end. Uh, may you set up uh, the Messiah in Jerusalem. And may he rule the earth in righteousness. May the spirit of God envelop the planet like the waters cover the sea. May the plant life be changed. The animals' uh, destruction and death pass away. Uh, may your great kingdom come to earth. You're praying that. Now, we know that the, the, the foretastes of the kingdom are, are we're to pray for now. All of the, the, the healing powers and the wisdom of God and the things that will be part of that last day, we pray in now. Through Jesus Christ. They're given to us now in part. In, we have foretastes. But the day will come when this planet is going to be uh, enveloped with the glory of God. That's what you're praying. Why don't we say it? Thy kingdom come. Thy, kingdom come. Thy, will, be done. Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Is in heaven. Yeah. How many millions of people pray that every day. Calling on God to bring his wonderful kingdom. Some speak in general terms, but others provide very specific checklists of events leading up to the end of the age. And no one does this more boldly than Jesus Christ himself. On several occasions, he gave his disciples a list of signs to watch for, which would indicate that his coming at the end of the age was near. Here is an example. Listen, now, now, watch, look at this checklist, and I just wrote it out in here so we didn't have to turn anywhere. The disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? Is that clear? And Jesus answered and said to them, now notice what he didn't say. I could come anytime. Who knows? He said, see to it, no one misleads you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, the Messiah, and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place. But that is not the end. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But these are merely the beginning of Birth pangs. So what were the beginning of birth pangs? In other words, it's as though the, the earth is giving birth to the new age and it's going through painful suffering leading up to that birth. And uh, wars, rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes. Do we see any of those? Yes. Yeah, well, in a sense, the earth always has. Uh, so it's like, are we seeing enough? Uh, are we there yet? But these are, there's a checklist right there. Then they will deliver you to tribulation. Now, once you arrive into the real stuff, once the birth pangs are over and you're really into that last day's scenario, uh, they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all the nations and then the end will. Will come. Do you hear a progressive checklist? Now I skipped the fact. He brings in the next thing. Just in the interest of space. I didn't put it in. Where he talks about the Antichrist rising up. Antichrist will take his seat. In the temple. All of this. He'll begin, the, the persecution. The vicious persecution of, of, of believers. Will take place. And then, uh, But immediately. After the tribulation of those days. The sun will be darkened. And the moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Notice you've got, you've got this atmosphere full of smoke and dust and who knows what. This dark earth has gone through cataclysm. Uh, the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Uh, some I don't know if the earth shifts on its axis or what happens. But even the stars change. It's a wild time. Read, read the book of Revelation. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky. Here comes Jesus. With power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds. If that's not a rapture, I don't know what it is. And from one end of the sky to the other, and when you see all these things, recognize that he is near right at the door. Is that a checklist? Is that a scenario? Is that a last day scenario? In other words, these things have to happen and then I'll come right there. Yeah. Any reasonable person who heard Jesus say that would say to themselves, well, until that and that and that happens, Jesus won't come back. And since I don't see those signs yet, or at least I'm not sure if I'm seeing any of them, I, don't, I won't expect him to return anytime soon. And indeed, this is a checklist of prophetic signs to watch for. And Jesus is the one who provides it. He says the first things to watch for are wars, rumors of wars, famines, and earthquakes. Then he says there will be a terrible persecution of believers along with the rise of false prophets and, and lawlessness. He says the gospel will be preached to the whole world. The Antichrist will attack Israel and bring great tribulation. And evil men will announce that they've been sent by God and will be able to perform great signs and wonders. And then the battle of Armageddon will take place. But mercifully, at some point, God will stop those events by sending terrifying cataclysms. And Jesus will come in glory with his resurrected saints. Now, there's mixed into this whole thinking, there is the the idea of the rapture. And some people say, well, we believers don't go through that. Uh, we get called out before that happens. Well, I need to tell you something. There are, pe- there, there are lots of believers suffering miserably uh, persecution right now. It just doesn't happen to be us. Of course, I, I've, I've had people say, I don't really care what happens just as long as I get out of this. Um, that's, a, that's a high-minded, noble, noble uh, thought. I wouldn't count on you getting ejected before anything happens that kind of thinking it's kind of a fear-based deal like it's not gonna happen to me right it's not gonna happen to me tell me it's not gonna happen to me but it's happening to our brothers and sisters right now you're living in an amazing time Uh, more people are coming to the Lord right now around the planet than ever before in history in fact I don't know what it would I've heard it but I don't recall in, in just a matter of a short space of, of, of mo- modern time, right now, you have more people coming to Christ than in all of history before. It. I mean, you see, we just—it's just, it's this scale, all over the planet. But so is persecution. I just, just, just was listening to a list of it uh, this week. Uh, I, I didn't realize that Myanmar was viciously persecuting Christians as well as the Rohingya uh, Muslims. Uh, you have uh, you've got it uh, you know the Middle East they virtually genocided uh, the Christians out of Syria and uh, much of the Levant. They're just all dead. They're dead or fleed. There's they, just nothing left. Uh, I pray all the time for uh, Yazidis and and anyway uh, you you've got you've got more people dying for Christ. India is a terrible place. I mean, excuse me, I shouldn't have said that, uh, given the fact we've got uh, friends there. Uh, but uh, the Lord watches over us. But in spots, that's going on. And, and it's happening, you, you name it, where it, around the world. So you're living in a time in which our brothers and sisters are, are dying and being persecuted. And all the stuff you read about, really, uh, is happening to them. And there's no saying it won't come to us. We just have to, you know, we, 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 we pray, we share our faith, we, we, we use the time we have right now. I think, it's, I think it's foolish to waste this time. You and I do not know how much longer we have the freedom to evangelize, to share our faith, even to pass it on to our children. Do you know that uh, uh, there are nations in Europe right now where it's illegal to baptize your children? Who are you to choose the religion of your children? That's happening. That's now. That's now, not someday. There's countries where if, if you preach the wrong thing in the pulpit, somebody's going to record it on their phone, send it to the police, and the police can come and arrest, arrest you uh, that afternoon. That's already now, and that's in supposedly Christian historical nations. So the whole tide is changing. So the idea that we'll just all get ejected, and this won't come to our door is, is I think, it, I think we, what, what, what happens is we keep ourselves weak. You see, once I look at that prophetic scenario and I go, okay, whew, that I, I, I could be living in that at some point here. Maybe I already have begun. It causes me to prepare myself to endure. Say endure. endure. Do you see it? I have got to establish my faith. I've got to have a prayer life. I got to know the word. I got I to I get, I, am I in it or am I not? If they came to my door, would I stand? Would I own Christ? How dear is my life? It, all of us have to face those kinds of questions. There's a, there's a toughening, you might say, or a, a strengthening that has to go inside us. Like, look, I'm going to belong to him regardless. My eternal life I will not give to anyone for a few more years on this planet. It becomes a deep, deep decision that, that comes out of the gut. So he gives us these scenarios. And that's what he's doing by telling us those things. He's not being silly. He's saying, here's what will happen. Are you, and you, you must brace for this. Most of the list is discouraging. <laughs> Until somewhere in the middle of the battle of Armageddon, uh, the earth's future goes from bad to worse. Only at the height of that battle does the Son of Man finally appear in the sky. Prophetic passages like these warn us of what lies ahead and encourage us to prepare ourselves to endure through growing opposition. And we should, but Jesus gives us more than prophetic signs. I feel my obligation as a pastor is is to do both is to prepare you and me for whatever lies ahead. I come from a family in which our, 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 our theology, you might say, is if you prepare for the worst, you'll be happily surprised if it isn't. You know, <laughs> but, but to do that, I purposely at times take on particular subjects in the sermons that i know is it's the last thing you do in a seeker sensitive church you know kind of thing it, i'm not, but i'm not trying to be cute nor am i trying to be bravado i just realize we have to look at these truths or you and i will not have the resilience to stand in what's in front of us can, can you worship without a band can, can you worship without a cd Oh, now we're really out there. Can, can, I mean, can, is, is it, is it what, what if it isn't the right, I mean, can you, what if you just sat, four of you, in the front of a truck? Could you still worship? Could you, would, would you know how to study the word? Would you be able to feed your spirit and establish, because our brothers and sisters all over the planet are doing this. They're having to come different ways to church one at a time and just come in just as casually as possible uh, to gather If they gather, it's dangerous for them to gather. So there's an awful lot of worship going on in the front seat of a truck, or, or a rickshaw, or of a, you know, an ox cart. It's going on all over the world right now. Can you do that, or do we have to have all these trappings? And if we have to have, I can't worship without the band and without without smoke and without without the with the, the right stuff, and only certain songs. You are going to be so fragile. You have no resilience. You're a delicate flower. You're a hothouse flower. The minute you get exposed to the weather of the outside, you're going to crumble. You have no strength in you. We have to have a certain resilience and strength. And that's what Jesus is telling us. Why? It's why he puts these things in front of us. There is a resilience we must have, a decision that's made, and a depth that we work in our own lives. But it's not, that's not all he says. He gave us more than prophetic signs. Remain alert. He also told us to remain alert because he said we don't really know when he will come again. In fact, he said even, when he, even, even he didn't know the day or hour of his return. Would you read that uh, quote with me? But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Well, you what do you mean we got a checklist once we start locking in on this thing what do you mean we don't know based on the fact that jesus might come at any moment he warned us to be on the alert for you do not know which day your lord is coming for this reason you must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will so he's just told us a list and now he says you won't know at the point he made for, And the point he made from this possibility that he might return suddenly and unexpectedly is that his disciples must recognize that we are continually accountable to God. Remember the illustrations and applications? He says, if, are you, if you're a servant and he's put you in charge of his household and he's given you assignments while, he's, while the master is gone, when he comes back suddenly, in one place it says, he will come back like a thief. He said, if, the, if, the, if the, house, the homeowner knew when the thief would arrive, he would have been prepared for it. But, but he says, my coming's like that. You won't know when I'm going to show up. I'm going to show up and you need to be ready to meet me every day. If I came back, would you be ready today? If we lose that awareness that we might see him very soon, and that when we do, we will give an account for our lives. The fear of God will tend to decline in our hearts. And we will be tempted to allow behaviors and attitudes to creep in that pull us away from serving him and expose us to temptations that will, that, that will bring upon us his judgment. If, his, if, if in our minds we begin to go down the prophetic clock so far and, and say, well, it's hundreds of years. I mean, who knows? Maybe another thousand years before he comes back. What happens is that lulls us, many of us. It, it causes us to pull back and go, well, pff, what, you know, I'll get it right one of these days. You'll see. And so I allow stuff into my life. It, it, it dulls me down. I also have to have this sense. Well, I know that's there and I'm preparing for it. But he could come any day. I need to be ready to meet him now. It, it, we, I need an urgency. This tension between studying the prophecy so that we can watch for the signs of His coming and waiting expectantly for Him to come at any moment is, I believe, the way He wants us to live. Expectation teaches us to lead worshipful, moral lives. It prevents us from growing complacent and sliding backward in our walk with God. Expectation fills us with the hope that we will be with him very soon. And that hope gives us energy to live our faith boldly. There's, a, there's, a, there's an expectation, there's an intimacy, there's a, there's a joy that I will see Jesus any day. He is near at hand, right at our hand, ready to come. That needs to fill my heart. If it gets distant down the way, I, 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 I get I get sad and plodding. But, the, but prophetic awareness is also needed. It teaches us to build disciplines into our lives, which will nurture our faith. Do you, do, you have, do you have a regular time in the Word in your own life? You cannot rely on a pastor preaching to you as your thing. This ought to be an addition to a foundational life in which you have learned to feed yourself in the Word of God. I write that daily Bible study just so that you can get in the word and understand it. So you're not left going, I don't know what that means. I'm, I'm trying to provide it so you can get in and dig in and have a time. Uh, are you, are you uh, having a prayer time in the morning? Can, do you know how to get close to him for yourself on a regular basis? Because brothers and sisters, you may have to. And I think We've even, we are even watching enough of things, even whether or not this is the last days or a last days. We are already watching it, aren't we? You can feel the squeeze. Mm-hmm. You can feel the chill. Mm-hmm. Now, what does that do to you? Go, well, I'm joining them. Okay. Then enjoy your years. Enjoy what you've gained, because that's it. You, you'll die as soon, sure as we will. So you need a plan. Or are you saying, no, I'll be wise as a serpent and, sh- and harmless as a dove. But no matter what, I'm serving him and no one will take my faith from me. I, my eternal life is more important than a few more years on this planet. See, that's the bargain, isn't it? It's really the decision. But what happens when I don't have the, all of the structures and all the organs and all of the things that are there to support me and build me up? What happens when I'm on my own? Can I I build my faith? Have I got an established personal faith that no matter where you put me, I won't leave the Lord? He's my Lord. Evaluating our hearts? Is that where we are? Where is your heart and mind today? Are we watching and waiting? Are we watching for the signs that Jesus told us will indicate that human history as we've known it is drawing to an end? Do we recognize that there are prophecies being fulfilled in this generation that seemed impossible for the past 2,000 years? I want to stop there for a second. Do you realize that 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 prophetic timetable really is underway? The fact of Israel forming as a nation. For 2,000 years, these people were in in complete isolation from from their land. And you looked at all of this. And all of a sudden, you not only have a nation there, but I just, I just heard there's six and a half million Jews in Israel alone. How many uh, Jews did uh, Hitler kill? Six, six million, about six million. You now have over that number just in Israel. It has one of the largest na- armies on earth. It is a a technological, it's one of the top technological developing nations in the world. One of the top handful. This is where things are being invented and discovered. If you go to Israel right now, you can just feel an energy. Mm -hmm. Now, now remember a prophecy? Ezekiel 33, the valley of dry bones. You've got this picture of this valley, and there's all of these dead, dry bones on it. And, and, And the Lord says to Ezekiel, prophesy to the bones, and the bones all come together. Bone to its bone. All right, so suddenly you have skeletons. And then the Lord says to Ezekiel, prophesy to the flesh and the sinews and the skin. And so he prophesies. And all of a sudden now, you have a valley covered with uh, these, these dead bones are covered with muscles and skin. And there's their bodies. So there's a strength now that's come back into it. You're watching that go on right now. The bones have been gathered are, and are continue to be gathered. And they are now covered with flesh and sinews. And then he says, and now prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, uh, and, and Ezekiel, says, prophesy to the breath and say to the breath, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. And, and Ezekiel says, and I, and I prophesied. And they, stood, and they came up to, a lot, to life and stood on their feet, a mighty army. Exceedingly great army is what he says. Exceedingly great army. That is one more step. So you're watching this, this rise up, and it's happening right now. Uh, I mean, right, what, what, the United States is recognizing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. All kinds of things, you can, whatever your politics are beside. Uh, you, cannot under, you cannot misunderstand that the Bible does indeed say that he will regather his people. It just does. And that that nation will be ri- raised again. You're living during that. You're living during that time. It's happening right now. So when we talk about those prophetic timetables. Mm-hmm. They are already ticking. Yes. I don't know where we are on it exactly. But I'm telling you. It's ticking. Already. Those 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 things are happening. But the last thing Ezekiel is told to prophesy. He says, is Is that the spirit of God would come and fill them. In other words. The baptism of the spirit. The power of God would come over. And there would be spiritual life and so we can expect a great revival will will take place not only in Israel and Judaism and in the church and in the church because we are grafted in whether you like it or not you are grafted in and you are a Jew in God's thinking you are part of this olive tree of his people that goes back to Abraham you are part of that you are joined into that praise the Lord anyway Are we like the sons of Issachar? People who understand the times. With knowledge of what God's people should do. Don't you love that phrase? It says the sons of Issachar. They were men who understood the times. With knowledge of what God's people should do. Are we like that? Instead of running and hiding because of what we see. Are we lifting up our heads because our redemption is drawing near? And... Are we waiting for Jesus, expecting to see him at any moment? Are we faithfully serving in our assignment, knowing that our master might come when we do not think he will? That morning by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus told Peter two truths that on the surface sound like they are in conflict with one another. He told him, I won't come in your lifetime, but I might come soon. And when we look at Jesus' teaching elsewhere, those two truths are always present. Check it out. He points out that God is moving down a prophetic timetable, but then he also warns that he could return at any moment. Those two truths are not in conflict, but are needed to accurately picture reality. They teach us to expect and endure, to watch and wait. And when we read what Peter wrote in his old age, we find that he learned those truths very well. I'm going to read to you from 2 Peter just a, a little bit. I won't go long. But listen to this. This is Peter. He's in his old age. He is, will not long from this be crucified. He's in Rome. And he's writing to the church. And so the old Peter, just as I said, literally, bef- just maybe a year or so, who knows, before he's crucified, he says this. He says, beloved, this, I'm, chapter 3. This second letter I'm writing to you, in which I'm stirring your sincere mind, that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets. He begins to go to the prophetic checklist and the commandments of the Lord and the Savior spoken by your apostles. Know this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, uh, all continues just as it was from the beginning. He, he begins to talk about the signs of the last days and says this business where people say Jesus isn't coming, see, it's been, it's been, in our case, 2,000 years. He hasn't come in 2,000 years. What makes you think he'll come now? He says that's part of the last days prophecies. And then he says what they didn't notice is he, he flooded the earth and the next time it's the fire. And then he says, a thousand years with the Lord is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. You don't know his clock. So here he goes, down the prophetic checklist, and then he says, and you don't have a clue when he's coming. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. See it? Sudden, unexpected, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. He describes the destruction of this present universe and the establishment of the whole new heavens and the new earth. And then he says this, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? With that backdrop of the Lord could come at any moment and this universe is going up in fire. He, talk, he looks at us and he says, so how are you going to live your lives? Brothers and sisters, how are you going to live your lives? Holy and serving the Lord? Are you committed to him? Because this is what he said would happen. Lord Jesus, we love you. And this day we allow our hearts to be full of expectation. We say, Maranatha, come soon. You are welcome, Lord. We, we open our hearts in anticipation you could, we could see you at any day. We will live as servants waiting for our master's return. But Lord, you've also given us understanding prophetically. You have shown us the markers of the last days. And they've already, the clock's ticking. We're, already, we're in some level of it now. It has to be. And we bless you for this. We honor you, Lord, that we can live in these days. And so we resolve to set our hearts for the long haul to endure and to be, to be firm in our faith and resolved to hold our faith in you as the greatest treasure we have that we will give to no one. We will trade in for nothing. Lord, strengthen us. Make us a strong people, a wise people, well-grounded that we will be able to live in these times and to not shift and to be frightened, but to be strong. For you have told us, what to watch for. We love you, Jesus. You are our Lord and our coming Lord. And our hearts burn for your kingdom. Help us use every day we have and use it well. In your precious name, we pray it. If you agree with that, would you say amen? Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's Life Lessons publishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.